Good morning, Tuolumne Community Baptist Church. I'm so glad you're tuning into our podcast. For those of you that are traveling, picking us up on the road, God bless you. I plead traveling mercies over you, that you will have a safe and wonderful trip. But while you're driving down the road, you might as well tune in and listen to today's message. Today we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Not far different than chapter 5. The Apostle Paul is still pleading his case, trying to convince the people to listen to him and to believe that he truly is an apostle called and placed in this position by Jesus Christ himself. But there were others that came in and infiltrated the church and were saying that he wasn't the true apostle, and they were bringing in different ideas. Some of it were from the Greek culture, um, things that were just not right, and others were... um, from the Jewish culture, those that were converted from Judaism to Christianity. And, you know, going back to the old law may feel comfortable, but it doesn't make it right. So the Apostle Paul is dealing with all this, and I want you to really feel and sense his his feelings in this chapter. He's pleading with everything he has to these people. It's really interesting. I think he's talking to me, too pleading with me not to turn aside, not to be unequally yoked with somebody that's not a Christian. We're not just talking about marriage here. We're talking about friendships and life and things that get involved, we get involved in where we start to make decisions of how we're going to live and what we're going to do. We have to be very careful with who we're listening to, what we're watching on TV. Nearly everything that is on TV today is against what we truly believe at least what we say we believe. But slowly it, it wearies us out and, and like a drip, 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 our opinions slightly start to change and, and we don't think, well, maybe that particular sin's not quite so bad anymore. We've seen it so much. We're used to it. It doesn't offend me anymore like it used to. Things like that. I think this is going to be a great message. I, I love Second Corinthians and Paul's heart. Sit back, listen, enjoy the drive if you're driving. If you're at home, go get your Bible and follow along with us. God bless you. We'll get started here in just a few minutes. If you're if you're new to us, and there's a few of you that are, it's so good to see you. I know you're not new to us, but you haven't been around during the sermon series that we've been in. I've been doing expository teaching, and what that means is we're teaching through a book of the Bible, verse by verse. We've gone through many books now, and it just seems like this is the way the Lord has been leading me to teach and preach here at the church. And it kind of scared me at first. Well, Lord, I can't skip that. He says, I know. (laughs) It's exactly why I'm giving it to you this way, so that you don't skip it. There's things sometimes we don't like to hear in the Bible. It'd be easier just to not talk about whatever it is that's set before us. So we tend to skip over it and go on somewhere else. We've been in 2 Corinthians. Last week we were 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I've had a few people respond to me that that was a challenging message. It got them to really think about how they're living their lives. And is it possible? Is it possible that I've accepted Jesus Christ in my life in vain? There are a lot of people that think just because they come to church that they're Christians. 
just because they, they're doing the Christian thing, because, hey, this is a great little club. Look at you guys. What a great bunch of people. And we have a lot of fun when we get together. You better be here next Sunday because we're having tacos. <laughs> I'm looking at my taco cooker back there going, yeah. And, and you know, the rest of you are going to be bringing side dishes and desserts. And it's going to be an amazing time that we have together. We're really good at that. But that doesn't save you. That doesn't get you to heaven. I want you to really pay attention to, to Paul's voice in 2 Corinthians. It, in this chapter, it reminds me of a person that's been in a long marriage that has become frayed and contentious. And don't you sit there and act like you don't know what I'm talking about. A marriage that's become frayed and contentious and, and you just don't understand why she's doing what she's doing or why he's thinking what he's thinking. We, we, yes, of course we love each other, but things are just contentious between us. They're just not right. And this is how Paul is feeling. And he's reached a point where nothing will do except for raw and honest expression from his heart. While in 1 Corinthians contains some of the most significant passages of understanding of Paul's practical theology. But it is in the patchwork of 2 Corinthians that reveals inner dimensions of his life of prayer and the lengths of which he is willing to convey, willing to go to convey his passionate love and concern for the church. So let's start by going back just a few verses and tie chapter 5 into chapter 6. And I've come to a conclusion reading 2 Corinthians. The translators, you realize when the Bible was wrote, this was a letter. It wasn't broken into chapters and verses. And I believe the translators back in 1300 or so thought they were doing a good thing, breaking it up into chapters so we could have a place to relate to and know where to go back to. But they broke it up all in the wrong places. It's a continuous statement in chapter 5, it just rolls into 6, and 6 rolls into 7, and it's a continual letter, and I want you to see that and feel that. Do I have any glasses back there? No, no, no. I'd I, I go blind. Tyler, would you run downstairs on my desk and get them for me? Because it's going gonna, it's gonna to affect me here. And No, he, I've got some. I seen them on my desk this morning, and I should have uh, I should have grabbed them. I thought I did, but I don't see them. He don't see them. So anyway, let's look back a little bit. 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21. This is the end of the chapter of 2 Corinthians. He says, now then, you know, whenever he says now then, or therefore, you got to look and see why it's therefore. But now then, thank you. We just gone through, remember, this comes with Paul reminding us if we're going to claim Jesus Christ as our Savior, now then we should be living like it. By living a life that represents what we say we believe. That's what the now then means. Last week was a tough message. I don't know. Did anybody else get a little squirmy besides myself? It was, it was tough. One of my favorite passages in the Bible. Amen. So he says, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, 
as though God were pleading through us, we implore you, implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's what this is all about, to be reconciled to God. Verse 21 says, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I'm telling you, that's the gospel in a nutshell. You say, I don't know what to say when anybody asks me why I'm a Christian. Well, just, just remember this one. Just go say, we'll go to 2 Corinthians 5.21, and there it is. That's why I'm a Christian. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for me. He took it away. That's the gospel. Now, 2 Corinthians 6.1, he continues on. He says, we then, as workers with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Verse 2, for he says, I, in an acceptable time, I have heard you, and in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Wow. Wow. Now's the time. If you're hearing this message, and as we go through it, there may be a few things that cause you to wiggle a little bit and cause you to think, am I really living the life that I'm supposed to be living? The Holy Spirit is prompting you and challenging you. In verse 3, it takes another turn. We give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. This is one that we read and we often don't understand what he was talking about. You see, I'm going to try to give you some background. There was a lot of things going on in this Corinth church. They were a Christian church, mostly of Greeks there from Corinth that had converted to Christianity from other various religions that they had had there in that town. And some of them were Jews who had converted from Judaism to Christianity. And then there were these people who came in because Paul now is gone. He planted the church and he moved on. And he's over in Ephesus or somewhere, and he's writing this letter back to him because he hears all these rumors of what's happening in his church in Corinth. That they're, there's, they're coming in and telling him, the Apostle Paul's not an apostle. You don't have to believe everything he says. You don't have to believe. You remember when you were in Judaism, we had to do these and these and these to be righteousness of God? What makes that change? They start talking to the church and getting people all confused. Who do we believe? Is the Apostle Paul not telling us everything? What's going on? The church was in, in mass confusion. And so now the Apostle Paul says, give no offense to anything. Offense here, it is very interesting. The word is not the word scandalon. In Greek, scandalon is what usually means offended. Scandalon. That's where we get the word scandal from us. Someone who's offended you, scandaled you, swindled you. But this isn't the word that it was used. This word is prosipi, prosokipi, something like that, which occurs this one place alone in the New Testament, and it means a cause for stumbling. That's what the word really means, a cause for stumbling. So let's put that in there. If we have no cause for causing you to stumble in anything, that our ministry may not be blamed. 
We've had no cause to have made you stumble. Everything we've said has been from God and the truth about God and the word of God. There's also, we heard, we've seen back in 1 Corinthians 8 and 9, there's another one that's pro-scoba, which is a stumbling block. And that's what he's using. He's using that form of wording to say, we haven't caused you to stumble. It's people from the outside that are coming in that's causing all this confusion. May not be blamed when any just blame or accusation comes is attached to a minister. The force of the ministry of reconciliation can be fatally weakened. What does that mean? Even a false accusation brought against a man of God in a house of God can take completely take away his effectiveness of the ministry. A false accusation. Oh, pastor, I seen you over there praying with Gracie. I think maybe there's something going on with pastor and little, you know, little Gracie over there. See how he always prays for her? False accusation can completely destroy what the church is trying to do. And that's what he's saying. You're allowing all these false accusations and we've never been a stumbling block for you. So quit it is what he's saying. Now Paul is going to do what we normally never see Paul do. He's going to commend himself or defend himself. I want us to get into the right state of mind when we read this. I want to, it to be obvious to you that the Corinthian church, the Corinthian church, these people were not listening. Well, my question to you is, are we? Are we really listening? I'm going to hit these next few verses in a fairly rapid pace because it moves rapidly. Verse 4. But in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God. In much patience, in tribulations, in needs and distress, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings. Verse 6, by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love. Verse 7, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. Verse 8, by honor and dishonored by evil report and good report, as deceivers yet true, as unknown yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened we are not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing all things. O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. Don't worry. She's okay. Our heart is wide open. Can you hear his concern? Just in the whole thing, if you read it through, when you go home today and you read this again, and then he gets to verse 11, he says, Oh, Corinthians, we have spoken to you. Our hearts are wide open. Like I said earlier, it's like having that place with a, a contentious wife or a contentious husband. And it's just going, and finally, you put it all out there. You say, listen, this is what's going on. This is the truth. Either you're going to accept it or you're not. That's how serious this particular spot was. When he says our heart, he's referring to Timothy and Titus. Those are the two men that were with him in ministry here in Corinth. I can feel the pain and the urgency of his words. Verse 12, 
He said, you are not restricted by us, but you were restricted by your own afflictions. Restricted here means to be held back. You're not held back by us. You're held back by your own decisions, listening to the wrong people. Verse 13, he says, now in return for the same, I speak to you as children, you also be open. The Apostle Paul is saying here, I'm, I, I can't speak to you as adults. We're going to have to talk basic like, like I would to a kid. I speak to you as, as children. He says in verse 14, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? Most people think here he's talking about the marriage. He's not. He's talking about the people you hang out with. Who are you listening to? You know, realize the people that you hang out with is, is like what input is going in. Hi, sweetie. Yeah, you think you can derail me. No, you can. Okay, podcast people, that was a baby that was running up. Just, I know you can't see this, but it's okay. He says that he has to talk to him as children. He wants him to have an open heart. And then he goes on to say, do not be unequally yoked together with believers for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and communion with light with darkness. He's not just talking about marriage. He's talking about your life. He's talking about the people you're listening to. How about the programs you're watching on TV? How about the things you, you look at on the computer? What are you listening to? What is your input? Don't be yoked up together with an unbeliever. You understand what unequally yoked is? I kind of have to take you back into their culture. They didn't have tractors. There was no John Deere. They had oxen. And you would yoke up one oxen with another oxen. What do you think would happen if you yoked up an oxen with a donkey? Uh, it's just not going to work. The donkey's going to go one way or he's going to stand still. He's not going to move. The oxen can try. He's going to do what he can. He can't make that donkey move. I can't make these donkeys move. I'm sorry, did I say that? <laughs> you don't yoke yourself up with an unbeliever. Now, I know this is a fine line. Pastor, you tell us always that if you don't have any friends in the world and you're not doing your job, who are you going to minister to if you have no friends and people that are outside of, of the church? Well, yes, you're supposed to have friends and acquaintances, people who are unbelievers, people who don't know the grace of God, that hopefully your light will shine and they'll say, man, I want whatever it is you got, and you'll have the opportunity to minister to them. But if you're an alcoholic, you're not going to be going down to the bar to try to minister to people in the bar. Okay, it's not going to work. Because you're, you have a weakness for that. You're not going to go in there and, and take care of it. And I'm telling you right now, if you see me down at the biker bar down here, you better believe I'm in there ministering to somebody. I'm not in there to take a, partake of the spirits. I'm, I'm there to, to bring a spirit into the place. I don't have a weakness there. But if I see one of my brothers going in there that I know has a weakness for alcohol, I'll stop. I'll pull over. And I'll say, hey, buddy, come on with me. Let's go over to the church. 
Let's go take care of things over here. Most people think it's just not being equally yoked up with a, with a wife or a husband. No, it's how you yoke yourself up with what's going on in your life. What are you listening to? What are you watching? What are you paying attention to? Verse 15 says, and, that, and what accord has Christ with Baal? And what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of living God, as God has said. I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Praise God. We, that's, that's God giving us his promise. He is going to be my God. I'm going to be his people. Praise God. But he also told me just before that not to yoke myself up with unbelievers. Yes, we minister to unbelievers. Yes, we do. But we don't make them our best friend. Not until they come to that decision of Christ. The very next verse, therefore. Well, I guess we better look at what therefore is. Therefore could be for that reason. Consequently. As a result of. Consequence of. That being the case. Verse 17, therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. Do not touch what is unclean. Men, I should get you all aside and talk to you separately, but do not touch what is unclean. Check every thought. Every thought. I can speak to the men because I am a man. I know what men think. I know what men do. Pay attention. We say that we're a Christian that do not touch an unclean thing. Verse 18, for I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Man, that's some powerful stuff. Sublime mission. Workers together with God. What is the grand work in which God is engaged? What is it that we can cooperate with God in? Well, first of all, we're going to look at what we can't. He is engaged in numerous works. The works of creation. We have no part of that. That's God. The works of government. In which we have no hand. That's God. The work here is eventually the work spoken of in this chapter. The work of reconciling man to God. That's what this is all about, is reconciling man to God. We have to be reconciled to God and not in vain. The work which God does through Christ, now all genuine ministers... That's you and me. Don't be shaking your head no, Terry. Yeah, that's you. You're a minister of Christ. Every one of us, if we're born again, if we're saying we believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, you're a minister of the gospel. No, not everybody's going to be standing up here and preaching on Sundays, but you're still a minister of the gospel. That's what God has called every one of us to do. 
cooperate with him in this. Our grand endeavor is to bring alienation, alienated souls into the fellowship with him, with Jesus Christ. Let me say it to like this in easier to understand language. For people to see Jesus in you. That's your job. Can people see Christ in you? Think about the situations in your life. I'm not going to point them out. I don't, have to, I don't have to tell you what's sin and what's not. You know what goes on in your house. I don't. But think about it. Is everything I'm doing, does it say that I'm in love with Jesus Christ and I'm living for him? And this is the solemn possibility. This one you're not going to like. Can we receive the grace of God in vain? The grace of God eventually refers to the offer of his reconciliation. This may be looked upon objectively and subjectively. Objectively, the gospel, which is called the gospel of grace of God. Subjectively, it is the personal Christianity. It may be received in vain, in both forms. Many have the offer of reconciliation and reject it, and they're sitting in church. I know it's quiet. And I don't think there's anybody in this church, to be perfectly honest with you, because I know all of you pretty well. But it still can happen. To them, the offer has been received in vain. Is it possible for those who have personally experienced it to lose it? Well, if we're talking about our peace and our joy and our testimony, on this earth, absolutely, we can lose it. But to lose our salvation? I choose not to answer that. Too many times I, I perform funerals or memorial services for people that we think was a Christian. We think that he accepted Jesus when he was a little boy. I never saw him live for it, but we, we think he did. And we hope to comfort us, to comfort them, that he is in heaven. But I'm talking to all you that are alive and well. Have we accepted him in vain? Hmm. The free agency of man and the exhortations of scriptures and the facts of apostasy in the word. Apostasy is to reject or renounce the words that are spoke to you through the word of God. To reject the truth to reject the words of the Bible is apostasy. To reject. Then, no, I'm not going to buy into that. I'm not going to believe into that. That was the case of David. You remember King David, a man of God's own heart, had an affair with a married woman and then set out to have his hus her husband killed and actually succeeded in that. Yet he was brought before, he was called on, and he brought it before God and fell on his face before God. I praise God that he did. That's why God said he was a man after my own heart, because he always asked for forgiveness. What about Peter? God's man, the rock, denied Christ three times on the most critical night of the world. 
Yeah, I know Peter's saved. But how many of us have done the same sort of thing? We've come to church and we've been baptized. We, we've accepted Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and, and it's just kind of turned into a country club. I know you're all really quiet now, but I'm telling you, I love you. I wouldn't tell you this. I wouldn't preach it this way if I didn't love you so much. Thank you. There is no greater calamity happens to a man than to receive the grace in vain. Hence, the earnestness of the Apostle Paul. Because he sees it. He sees what is happening in their church. They're believing a lie. And they're believing it. And it's totally freaking him out. That's why he's got so much energy into this. And he, and he just cries it out to him. Listen, I'm telling you, you've got to believe. You've got to believe in the one true God. I think of scriptures in the Bible. You remember when Jesus himself said, some will say to me, Lord, Lord, we have prophesied in your name. We have healed the sick and done many wonders in your name. And what did Jesus say to them? I never knew you. What? These aren't people hanging out down at the bar. These are everyday church people that think they know God and they think they know the righteousness of God and they're not living it. No, I'm not judging you. I'm trying to give you something to judge yourself. We judge ourselves, least we be judged. Is it possible? That there's some in the church today that act like a Christian, talk like a Christian, even smell pretty good. They think that they're saved, but still they're not saved. Remember, there is no greater calamity that can happen to a man or a woman than to receive, receive this grace in vain. Hence, the earnestness of my preaching. I want us to, we have time. I want us to read this parable in Matthew, Matthew chapter 25. It's the parable of the ten virgins. But first, let's identify the, the players in this parable. Jesus' parable about the ten virgins was, was preparing their lamps with oil is about being prepared for when Jesus returns. That's what this is about. He was trying to get them to understand that you have to be ready. You have to be prepared. The return when he arrives. The ten virgins represent us who are waiting for the return of our Savior. Can I get an amen? That's what we're waiting for. And it's either he's going to come in the sky or he's going to take me home, one or the other. It's all the same, right? If I'm not alive here, present on earth, I'm with him. So if his return comes by him taking me, then that's his return, as far as I'm concerned. For the rest of the world, we're still waiting. The bridegroom here in this parable represents Jesus. The church is called the bride of Christ. 
And you know, the bridegroom, that's all the way back in the Old Testament. Isaiah and different ones prophesied that he would be the bridegroom. And the church is the bride of Christ. That's us. The lamps, I believe, was the light that shines in us after we have believed and it lights the way for others. That's what the lamp is. When you hear this parable, you go, well, what is that lamp? That's us. That's the light that beams in us that helps others to see the way to Christ. The oil is the fuel for the lamps. You're going to hear that some of them didn't have enough oil. The oil represents the Holy Spirit that keeps our spiritual lamps burning brightly. So why would the ten virgins be waiting for the bridegroom? You have to understand kind of the history of the time. The virgins spoken of in this parable actually were bridesmaids attending to the bride and lighting the way to the wedding of the bridegroom. That was a typical Jewish wedding. Jesus was giving something that was their day, their time that they understood. Yeah, quite honestly, it sounds like a beautiful thing to have a wedding like that. This was so common in a Jewish wedding ceremony. Their role was to get the bride ready for the groom and to unite the two of them when the groom arrived. And as history tells us, they never knew when the groom was going to arrive. That was totally up to the groom and his family. And when they were ready, then, then he shows up. But they were all there waiting. The groom was not marrying the ten virgins, but one bride. Since the bride names, the bridesmaids, were traditionally unmarried, they were considered to be virgins. Okay, let's look at Matthew 25, verse 1. And understand, this is Jesus talking. This is his words. I'm not preaching anything that I've made up. It said, the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, five of them were wise and five were foolish. There were those who were foolish, took their lamps and took no oil with them. You know, maybe they thought the bridegroom would show up right away. Maybe they thought he would show up in the daylight. I don't know what their thinking was. But this is one thing we know for sure is they believed in the bridegroom. They're Christians. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. Now, a lot of people will pick out that slumbered and slept and think, oh, well, that's what the problem was. They all went to sleep. That's not the problem. You know, God wants you to rest. He didn't expect them to be up there, you know, doing a wedding dance until he showed up. The slumber and sleeping was absolutely fine. It's, it's what they did. They were just waiting for the bridegroom to show up. Now we can go to the next. And at midnight, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming out to meet him. Go out to meet him. Then all the virgins arose, trimming their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. There's a little controversy on that. Aren't we supposed to give to our neighbors? Aren't we supposed to help our neighbors out? Well, it'd be kind of like 
sitting down there at the biker bar and taking a big cup of suds down and asking the guy for another because I didn't bring enough money to pay for this one. You cannot give the Holy Spirit to anyone. Verse 9 says, But the wise answered, saying, No, least there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy it for yourselves. Do you guys remember what time this was? It's midnight. It's going to be pretty hard for them to wake somebody up in the store in the town next door to get their oil. But they did. They're believers. They said, okay, let's go. Come on, girls. And they took off, man. They, they were probably running to get there to wake up the storekeeper to get their oil and to try to get back. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding. And the door was shut. I should have underlined that. And the door was shut. Do you realize how terrifying that would be? If we think we're ready. And afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. We're here. We're here. But he answered and said to them, assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. That's our message. Watch, therefore, for we don't know. I'm not guaranteed tomorrow. Now, we just talked about last week, and this is what made some of you squirm, is that we're going to be judged. We're going to sit when we make it to heaven. If we make it to heaven, praise God, we're going to be sitting at the Bama seat, and we're going to be judged for everything good we did and everything bad we did as a Christian. Boy, what a day that will be. The fact that I'm being judged, I'm excited because I'm in heaven. I panic more for these who the door was shut. Because they thought they were living their life right, doing what it's right. You're here. You're doing what's right. You're getting your, your spiritual body fueled. But when you go home, I want you to really think about this message. And I want you to start questioning yourself. Am I really living the kind of Christian life that the word of God is asking me to live? I mean, you might be thinking, well, is it that hard? No, it's not hard. But you have to put restrictions on yourself. You have to pay attention to who you're listening to, what you're listening to, who's talking to you from the outside, trying to convince you that, hey, it's okay. Come on, we did this all the time before. Let's, let's do it again. As we grow in the Christian walk, we get stronger. I, I'm stronger. I don't sin in some of the ways that I used to sin. I ain't perfect. Believe me, if I swung a hammer and hit my thumb, you would probably hear me say something. You'd say, Pastor. <laughs> and I would turn around and say, please forgive me. I thought that those words were dead and gone, but it, it just came out of me. They fell out of my mouth because I hurt my thumb. <laughs> but we have to really think about what it is we're doing and how we're actually living. 
living for God is not a difficult thing. Fact is, he makes it so easy that we sometimes get lazy. You know exactly why God has me in ministry to be your pastor? Because he knows without it, I'm a lazy individual and I wouldn't read the word every day like I do today. He knew that he had to put me in a position to constantly be in the, in the realm of study, to constantly be ready for an answer, to constantly be able to help somebody where they don't know where to look or where to go. I'm forced. Thank you, Jesus, that he is forcing me because otherwise I'm just an average guy and I like Netflix and, you know, I, I enjoy kicking my feet up and enjoying things at home and I just would totally kind of get away from the whole Christian living. The Holy Spirit been really censoring me with what I watch. And I hope he is to you too. Everything you see on TV today is promoting the, the LTBGQYZ lifestyle. They're having a grand parade today. It's going to be all over the news. And it's designed for us to, and I'm not putting anybody down. I love them. Jesus loves them. But it's a way to get us desensitized to it and think, well, you know, it's love. They love each other. No, it's sin. And God loves them desperately. And I want us to be that church that is ready when, those, when that, that time comes, when the whistle is blown, whatever it is, the hump, tr trumpets are blown, the angels are singing, and Jesus is coming. We need to be ready, completely ready with our lives. And thank God that you're alive still today hearing this. You go, okay, I can fix this, some things in my life. Yes, that's the point, to, to fix some things. I'm still working on it, and we can work on it together as a church. Amen? Amen. I got nobody to play the piano. Steve, get over there and beat on the drums. And, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> kidding. That's all right. We can go home and be praising God. Well, probably some kind of boogie woogie. Um, you know, it's, I told Joe because Joe wasn't feeling good. And, and uh, so she said, I'll, I'll go home right after the operatory. And I said, you can go now. And she goes, well, no, I, I don't. Yeah, that's my job to do the operatory. I said, no, honey, I'll sing. <laughs> why are you all laughing? That's it. I'll sing now. They'll sing my mother's song. Remember my mother's song? Happy, 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 happy in the Lord. Praise God, I'm born again and trusting in his word. I just wanted you to know how happy I am. I am happy, happy, happy in the Lord. Want to do it again? Happy, 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 happy in the Lord. Praise God, I'm born again and trusting in his word. You're all messing me up. Just want you to know how happy I am. I am happy, happy, happy in the Lord. See, I'm not afraid to sing. I'll tell her to listen to the podcast. 